Well, good morning. That was kind of lame. Good morning. That was a little too much. If you're uh, new to Santa Cruz Baptist Church, we are so glad that you are here this morning. We have been going through the book of Ephesians, and prior to Easter, we were in uh, chapter 4 in the first half of chapter 5, where we looked at what it means to walk in the light and what it means to walk in love. Well, our third uh, walking is today's sermon, and it's entitled Walk in Wisdom. Walk in wisdom. But first I would love to propose a question for all of us to consider. The question is, what consumes you? What consumes you? What consumes your mind? I would even find myself, like I'm taking a shower and my mind can only go to what I'm thinking about. So do you have it in there? What consumes you? I'll help you with a few. For the past few years, COVID-19. For the past few months, the war between Russia and Ukraine. How about our American political climate? What consumes you? Getting a little closer to home, how about the Santa Cruz rail and trail debate? What about social media? Without realizing it, I can get consumed by social media. In fact, they even call me a user. We can be controlled by alcohol, by drugs. We can be controlled by sex. We can be controlled by codependency. We can even be controlled by food, or our jobs, money, cars, children. Have you ever been consumed by your children? Consumed by books, consumed by knowledge. Has anyone been consumed by fear? Or consumed by anxiety. I know those of you in this case would not want to admit it, but there are people who are consumed by narcissism or anger or forgiveness. Living in these ways, living in these times, it can be all-consuming, can't it? Well, this morning's passage in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, will show us how the people of Ephesus were being consumed and what really should consume us. It's a familiar passage, but hopefully the Lord will shed some insight. So will you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because these days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for it, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. It's quite a passage we're all familiar with. But if you aren't careful, you can miss what it is literally saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that in the very beginning of verse 15. Maybe because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit and knew that this would be so misinterpreted for so many years through so many generations. His very first words are, Look carefully at how you walk. These words, look carefully, they are advice. They are counsel. It's even a warning. And he's saying, walk wisely. Which begs the question, how does one walk wisely? How do I walk in wisdom? And then he answers it three ways in verses 16, 17, and 18. And that's what we're going to look at first. Three ways for us to walk in wisdom. Number one, make the best use of the time. Number two, understand what the will of the Lord is. And number three, be filled with the Spirit. It's pretty simple. You want to walk in wisdom? Make the best use of the time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's break those down. Verse 16. To walk wisely is to make the best use of the time because the days are evil. As we see in verse 16, looking at the word time, Paul did not use the Greek word chronos, which is used for a clock or Time that is measured in hours, minutes, and seconds. Instead, he used the Greek word kairos. Yet so many of us, when we see, when we're looking to make the best use of the time, we're just thinking of the clock. Paul is using the Greek word kairos. It is a measured, fixed season or an opportunity. As we look at how God works in seasons of times in our lives, think about that when you're walking in wisdom. He gives us opportunities. I think Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 can be an encouragement to us this morning. And you'll see it. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you see it there? As we have opportunity, as we are in a season of a life, we will reap if we don't give up. So the question, what season of life are you in? What season of life are you in? 
God just moved our precious family to Santa Cruz, California, and he has given us a new season, and we absolutely love it, don't we? We are having so much fun being here, and it is a sweet season. You know, we have had other seasons that weren't as sweet. And you may be in one of those seasons. You may be in a dry and weary season. You know what walking in wisdom is? It's making the best use of the day. Because these days are evil. The second way to walk wisely with our God is seen in verse 17. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love this quote from John MacArthur. When our priorities are God's priorities, He's free to work in us and through us to accomplish great things. But when our priorities are not His priorities, He can do little with us because He has little of us. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The unwise believer who, be, who behaves in a foolish manner tries to function apart from God's will. And it's inevitably weak, frustrating, and ineffective, both in your personal life and in your work for God. The only cure to such foolishness is to understand what the will of the Lord is. Have you ever asked God the question, what is your will for me? Hey God, show me what I need to do. God, where do I need to go? What do I need to be doing? And then you don't hear anything from him. It can be so frustrating. Can we go back to the beginning of verse 15 and say, look carefully at what is actually being said here. Verse 17 does not say, what is the will of the Lord for me? It just says, what is the will of the Lord? I think sometimes we can think that life is about me. And you know what? It's really not. It's about Him. When we get that into our perspective, we can start to walk in wisdom. How many fools walk around in life making life all about themselves? The third one is in verse 18. The third way to walk in wisdom from today's passage is to be filled with the Spirit How does one walk wisely? How does one make the best use of their time? How does one understand the will of the Lord? How does one not fall into the temptation of debauchery or acting foolishly? Here is the answer. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 of Ephesians 15, excuse me, of Ephesians 5 is a passage of scripture that pastors, churches, and denominations often misuse in an attempt to control their people. Isn't that ironic? 
man trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit in an attempt to control people? Verse 18 says, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. There have been few periods in church history in which the drinking of alcoholic beverages has not been an issue of disagreement and debate. Evangelical churches in our own day have widely differing views on this very subject. In fact, within denominations, denominations and missions organizations can even have differing opposing views when it comes to the unwritten law of drinking wine. I won't go into great detail. But please hear this morning, drinking or not drinking alcohol is not a measure of spirituality. Again, pastors throughout the world, throughout time, have preached these sermons and they didn't really look carefully at the Word of God. Spirituality is determined by what is in our heart. What we do on the outside is but an outpouring of what is on the inside. Why did Paul bring up such a controversial subject of drunkenness to the church in Ephesus? Because it would have been a lot easier if he would have just done something else. But he didn't. It helps us to understand the culture of Ephesus in their context to see why Paul brought this up. So here's a brief history level lesson. Ephesus was the queen city of Asia with a population of that time around 250,000 people. It was located on the western shores of the Aegean Sea in modern-day Turkey. And though its port and harbor were silting up in the first century, Ephesus remained the Asian center of the cult worship of the goddess Artemis. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world, drawing many thousands of visitors to their city annually. It was quite a tourist attraction. First century Ephesus represented the material rich of that time. Ephesus also modeled the spiritual void that existed in the first century. It was a, it was a center of occult practice, and its citizens turned to magic, to witchcraft, and to sorcery to manipulate hostile spiritual powers in the spiritual realm that would take advantage of people for profit. It's not that difficult for us to see a bit of a comparison between first century Ephesus and 21st century Santa Cruz. 250,000 people on the West Coast. It port was even silting up every once in a while. I didn't even make this up. I Googled this stuff. Ephesus was also the center of the cult worship of Dionysus. He was the Greek god of wine. The Ephesian culture worshipped this god of wine and drunken orgies with the desire to get to a state of spiritual ecstasy. 
Celebrations in honor of Dionysus emphasized fertility, sex, and intoxication. Intoxication would allow Dionysus to control the body of the worshiper. Catch this. The worship of Dionysus through fertility, sex, and intoxication would allow the god Dionysus to control the body of the worshiper. Thus, the worshiper would do the will of the deity. So when Paul is saying in Ephesians 5.18, don't be filled with the spirit of Dionysus through wine, but instead be filled with the true living God by his spirit. He was addressing a cultural issue that would distinguish true followers of Christ from true followers of the pagan world in Ephesus. Remember, he was addressing a cultural issue that would distinguish the true followers of Christ from the followers of the pagan world of Ephesus. And so I ask us, well, good, because there's no debauchery in Santa Cruz. There is no drunkenness. There is no addiction. There is no spiritual realm of craziness, is there? He calls us, the church, to be distinct, to be set apart, and to be lights in our society. You know what's tough? It takes walking in wisdom to do that. Sadly, pastors, churches, denominations miss the target of Paul's intention and turn this verse into spiritual prohibition. The prohibition of alcohol, the legislation of morality. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't do... I'm trying to be a pastor of the 1970s. (laughs) Don't do drugs. While you're at it, don't dance. Don't even date. You kids don't even own a phone. Don't be these users of social media. Since these days are so evil, don't even Google. Legalism knows no bounds. The Pharisees were great at legislating morality. It didn't work then. It won't work now. It is by grace we are saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of legislative morality. It is a gift of God. The word of God is not saying do not drink wine. In fact, the first miracle Jesus performed was the turning of water into wine at a wedding feast of all places where dancing, eating, and extravagant joyous celebration was occurring. Do you think that he just accidentally did his first miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding feast? In fact, wine is mentioned 237 times in Scripture, many of them in a positive light, if you read through the book of Song of Solomon. Many of them in a medicinal light, if you read in 1 Timothy, where Timothy is told by Paul to take a little wine for your tummy. 
And it's also mentioned numerous times in a negative light. We could see the example of Noah in Genesis chapter 9. He gets drunk, he's naked, and he humiliates his family right after God's working and moving with the flood. Drunkenness is the sin. The issue is drunkenness in this passage that leads to debauchery, to dissipation, to the disaster of homes and marriages and families, and to potentially your future. It's controlling, addicting, and difficult to conquer. If it has a hold on your life, please realize that your God is greater. Our God is greater than addiction. He can break the chains of addiction that hold you, but you have to surrender to Him. I would encourage you, if you do struggle with addiction, take a step today. Share that foothold with God. Share that foothold with one of us. We can point you to help. And if drinking to the point of drunkenness is tempting, then run from it. Run from it. But let's look carefully at what the Word of God says. What sets us apart as followers of Christ is a standard of godliness. Titus chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 refers to many of this, of which we could have picked a numerous number of passages. But Titus 1, 6 says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And so don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is not the same as being baptized in the Spirit, or sealed in the Spirit, or slain in the Spirit, or secured by the Spirit. The command in Ephesians 5.18 is to be filled with the Spirit. Again, can we go back to 5.15? Look carefully at what the Word of God says. Be filled translates in a present passive imperative tense and is literally rendered be being kept filled. I apologize, but I used to be consumed with English grammar. I want to break down those tenses of the verb be filled, which literally means be being kept filled. The continuous aspect of being filled involves a day-to-day, moment-by-moment submission to the Spirit's control. Day-to-day, moment-by-moment submission to the Spirit's control. The imperative tense of the verb be filled 
That means that this is a command that includes the idea of conscious continuation. Being filled with the Spirit is not an option for believers. It is an imperative, a commanded mandate. No Christian can fulfill God's will for his life apart from being filled with the Spirit. God commands us to be filled with the Spirit. The passive tense. The passive aspect of being filled indicates that it is not something that we do, but it is something that we allow to be done to us. Again, this is an area where most people misunderstand, misapply, and misinterpret the filling of the Spirit. It is passive. It is something that we allow to be done to us. The filling is an entirely the work of the Holy Spirit Himself, but He works through our willing submission. And finally, the present tense aspect of this command indicates that we cannot rely upon our past filling, nor can we live in expectation of a future filling. We can rejoice in past fillings. We can have hope for future fillings. But we can live only in this present filling. Although every Christian is indwelt, baptized, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, unless one is continually filled with the Spirit, he will live in spiritual weakness, spiritual frustration, and spiritual defeat. I ask you the question, have you ever felt that in your walk with God? Have you ever felt weakness, frustration, and defeat? Have you ever been stuck there? Stuck in spiritual weakness, frustration, and defeat in my walk with God. Personally, I will confess to you, there are seasons of life that I get there. And then I get frustrated with God. And I look and I go, why am I there? To help our understanding of being filled with the Spirit in our lives, let's look back at what being filled with the Spirit is not. To be being kept filled with the Spirit is not like when someone, and I apologize, but I went back to like just some of the best mornings you have. Taking a big old gallon of cold milk and pouring it into the full cup of your glass up to the rim, maybe even to overflowing, that is not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It is not being filled with the Spirit over at Dunlap's Donuts when they take the cream and put it inside the cream donut. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That, even though that is a great view... That is not being filled with the Spirit. Personally, I love the lemon cream filled donuts at Dunlap's Donuts. And if you don't know where Dunlap's Donuts is, it's in Pleasure Point. Which I was going to work into the sermon, but I did not. And you can be thankful that I did not. 
to help us practically understand what being filled with the Spirit means, I would like to illustrate with a Wednesday night tradition in the Santa Cruz community. So I turn to a few of my old, old Santa Cruz veterans. Mr. Sweeney, Mr. Sleeper, do you know what I'm talking about? A Wednesday night tradition? Anyone? You guys are good. I'm talking about the Wednesday night sailboat races out at the Santa Cruz Harbor. They're also known as the beer can races. Ironic that we're using an illustration of beer can races to talk about not being drunk with wine, but instead being filled with the Spirit. Could you imagine if I took a boat out on one of these Wednesday nights for the race that didn't have a sail? I just thought it'd be better off if I just paddled it myself. Or better yet, if it had the sails, but I didn't see any reason to hoist the sail or set the sail because I knew better. Or maybe I was just being lazy that night. You see... When we allow the wind to fill our sail, to carry our sailboat to the charted course, it's quite a sight to behold. The power of the wind filling a sail and thereby carrying that sailboat to me is majestic. I found myself being consumed by just watching these sailboats on Wednesday nights. To be filled with the Spirit is to be moved along in our Christian life by God Himself. By the same dynamic by which the writers in Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. This is really pretty cool. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that pretty cool? The very inspiration of Scripture was breathed, pneuma, breathed into existence in the Word of God. And they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Are you carried along by the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit? Here's another way to see and understand the filling of the Spirit through the concept of total control and consumption. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled, to be dominated by the Spirit. The person who is filled with sorrow is no longer under his own control, but is being totally controlled by the emotion of sorrow. You see that in John chapter 16, verse 6. In the same way, Someone who is filled with fear can be gripped in fear, totally dominated by fear. Have you ever been stuck there? You are so afraid that you literally can't go outside or you literally, like your mind is consumed, controlled by fear. What about anger? Luke chapter 6 verses 11 talks about being so angry that it consumes you. It controls every part of you. A little positively, 
Stephen was controlled by faith and the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 6. And then the chapter before in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were literally controlled by Satan. In fact, it says, why has Satan filled your heart? They were no longer under their own control, but they were under the total control of that which dominates them. My question, what is it that totally dominates you? Is it the Holy Spirit of God? To be filled in this sense is to be totally dominated and controlled. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is not to have the Holy Spirit somehow added to your life until we're full of the Holy Spirit. That's not what it means. No, it is to be under the total domination and control of the Holy Spirit. This is in direct contrast to the uncontrolled drunkenness and debauchery that the church in Ephesus was seeing through the worship of Dionysus. When you are filled with the Spirit, you will stand out and be set apart. You will be distinct in your daily living. Functioning in the flesh produces absolutely nothing of spiritual value. Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 clarifies this. John chapter 3 verses 6 through 9 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. Again, this is pretty cool. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Did y'all see that? Nicodemus turns and says to him, how can these things be? You know how these things can be? They can be when you repent of your sin and you turn and give your life to Christ. That's how these things can be. Because at the moment of salvation, you get an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You get a security in the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Those people who do not have that, they live life in the flesh. They don't live in the Spirit. So my question to you this morning, are you born again? Do you live in the flesh or do you live in the Spirit? Does the wind, does the breath of the Holy Spirit set your sails? Is the Holy Spirit moving your boat or are you paddling yourself? To be filled with the Spirit, getting really down to the practical nuts and boats, to be filled with the Spirit involves confession of sin, it involves surrender of your own will, your own intellect, your own body, your time, your talent, your possessions, and your desires. It requires the death to selfishness and the slaying of self-will. When I die to myself, the Lord fills me with His Spirit. John 3.30 says, 
He must increase, but I must decrease. Luke 9, verses 23 through 25. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Finally, in Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit-filled life submits every step of our walk to the Spirit of God. In verses 16 and 17 of Galatians 5, it says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Boy, isn't that wisdom? Keeping with Galatians 5, as a believer is yielded to the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God, he will increasingly manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 23 through 25 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Self-control is opposed to drunkenness. So let's review. The Spirit's indwelling. The Spirit's sealing. The Spirit's baptism occur at the time of salvation when we are born again. Consequently, believers are then commanded to be filled with the Spirit constantly, daily, moment by moment. Each Christian has all of the Holy Spirit we need at the moment of salvation. We have everything we need at the moment of salvation. The command in Ephesians 5 is that the Spirit would have all of me daily. That's the command. That the Spirit would have me moment by moment. To walk in wisdom is characterized by the Holy Spirit's movement and control in my life. So what then does the Holy Spirit being filled in me look like? We get Ephesians 5 verses 19 through 21. It involves speaking, making melody, thanking, and submitting. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? You speak, you make melody, you're thankful, and you submit. Again, going back to my neurotic English grammar consumption, there are four Greek participles that modify the one verb. The verb is in verse 18. The, the modifying adjectives are in 19, 20, and 21. It's making a serious point. How are you filled with the Spirit? First of all, by speaking. 
It's communication with one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, last week at Easter, we were singing. We were getting after it. And the Holy Spirit inspired Bobby in conjunction with having a battery in the guitar going out for us to sing the doxology. Do y'all remember that last Sunday? Was that not one of the coolest moments in worship? Bobby, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sings us in the doxology. And what do all of us believers start doing together? We sang along. We didn't even have to use the screen. That was really cool. You go, Bobby. But it's not all about you. (laughs) Making melody. Communicating with the Lord by singing and making melody in your heart. So Rob, you're telling me that to be filled with the Spirit, I have to sing? And you know what I would say to you? Yes. That's what the Word of God says. But I'm not any good at singing. Have you heard me sing? I'm horrible at singing. And you know what I would say to you? God is the one that either gave you no rhythm or good rhythm. There are a lot of us up here that cannot play this little drum. But that shouldn't stop us from singing and making melody in my heart to God. Do you know that I find myself, when I am really walking with God, I will find myself singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs in my heart on a regular basis, even when I'm like taking a shower. Even, do y'all find yourself doing that like early in the morning or late at night? You just find yourself and you're caught on a song? That is so pleasing to the Lord. I speak with one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I make melody with my heart to God. Number three, being filled with the Spirit looks like thanking God the Father continually for all things. It's an attitude of gratitude that really shows that I am being filled with the Spirit. No one can be Spirit-filled and live a life of ungratefulness. In America, we as people have so much, yet we characteristically mourn what we do not have. I want someone else's house or their car. I want another job. I want a vacation. I want family, and on and on and on. I think the enemy tries to sink us in the hole of ungratefulness. Thanklessness indicates a life missing out on the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Choose contentment. And finally, being filled with the Spirit looks like an attitude of mutual submission among believers. The scripture is clear. 
in Philippians 2.3, we are to consider others as better than ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4.5, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants of Jesus Christ's sake. Sometimes we meet Christians who claim to be spirit-filled, yet they're brash, they're assertive, they're self-promoting, they're condemning. And thus they give their claim of Christianity a lie. For neither Christ nor the Holy Spirit is like this. Are you joyful in your speaking and singing? Are you thankful in your circumstances? Are you submissive to authority in the workplace? Are you submissive to authority at home? Are you submissive to authority in the church? We cannot answer these questions in our own power. We cannot answer these questions through legalism. We cannot answer these questions through mystical manipulation. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can walk in harmony as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as employers and employees. Today, the church needs the filling of the Holy Spirit like never before. The unity of the people of God that Paul is describing in Ephesians 4 must be translated into daily living out being filled with the Holy Spirit. The church has received so many blessings from the Spirit. We've been baptized, we've been sealed, we've been reconciled, we've been given the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Yet what the church is so often spiritually empty, how can that be? Jeremiah Jeremiah 2 verse 13 kind of speaks to that. Have you forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water? Others may be present at the Lord's table. They may read their Bibles and live steady lives, but they have no joy. They have no delight in God. They have no wind in their sails. For such a time as this, God has given us Santa Cruz Baptist. For such a time as this, He has planted the opportunity in this 21st century at Santa Cruz Baptist Church. He's given us the time, the opportunity to understand what his good and perfect will is. He has called us to not be foolish. He's called us to not be controlled by the addictions of this world. But our Father, through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, has asked us to be sail-setting, wind-catching vessels used by God to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the hopeless, to sing and to make melodies from our hearts so that people would have to ask the question, what is up with that church? What is up with that church? Why is that church so filled with joy and thanksgiving? Why does that church sing so loud? Why does that church forgive? 
The enemy wants to tell us that we cannot make a difference in this community. I totally disagree. Through the power of the Holy Spirit filling us daily, moment by moment, with the breath, with the living word of God, we can walk in wisdom. We can live out the will of God. We can submit to one another out of reverence and fear of Jesus Christ. As I close, what would distinguish us as true followers of Christ from followers of this pagan world and the society that we live in? Come to the well where the living water flows. Come be consumed by the word of God. Breathe in and breathe out the daily feeling of the Holy Spirit. Be consumed, overwhelmed by the will of God as we're being filled by the Spirit. This is what walking in wisdom looks like. Will you pray with me?